0: a woohooer, a hand-clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following episode was originally recorded for the What If Football Patreon page, If you like what you hear on this following podcast, then please feel free to subscribe to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash what if football from one pound a month for five days a week bonus podcasts. alright? It's innate for us to compare and contrast, although it's probably more inane. Regardless, indulge this inane side for half an hour on this beautiful Wednesday. I am Jake from What If Football. Thanks for donating to this Patreon page and this is the Head to Head podcast, episode 12. And in episode 12, we're going to look at two of the biggest World Cup losers of all time, the Dutch team of 1974 and Brazil of 1982. Let's get stuck straight in. And a nice reminder before we start today's show that we are a Sports Social Podcast Network production over there on their website three days a week with Ranked Noise Nostalgia Podcast and The Barclays, which we are finishing up that inaugural Premier League season next week. So check that one out, will you? So we are using the Monday Night Point scale a little bit different here, of course, because we are back on teams. We're back on teams are only we're gonna only gonna discuss one tournament here for the netherlands it's the 1974 fifa world cup for the brazilians it's the 1982 fifa world cup so without further ado this is the revamped point scale for this episode only five points you earn for a golden ball or a golden boot that is a player within your team being the best scorer or the best player at the tournament number four four points if you reach the final, three points if you reach the tournament semi-final, two points for each match, one in the second phase, one point for each match, one in the uh, inaugural group phase and uh, one point if you finish in the podium in the golden ball or golden boot there. So let's reverse things around and let's uh, have a look at Brazil first. So they got one point on the board for each of their group phase wins the 2-1 win over the Soviet Union to begin with the 4-1 win over Scotland in the middle and a 4-0 win over New Zealand in the final group match so that leaves us with three points going into the second group phase which is one of the more deadlier of the groups of death Argentina and Italy in the three-team group phase which uh, had no right to exist really because they are strange which is why FIFA shouldn't bring them back for 2026 but off my uh soapbox there Italy then beat Brazil 3-2 in the final game they would of course beat Argentina 3-1 the game before that so it gives us another two points so we've got five points there for Brazil of 1982 Zico gets uh joint third in the golden boot stakes with uh, five goals I believe four or five goals there so that's an extra point so you've got six points on the board Falcao getting there. Uh, voted the second best player of the tournament. So that leaves Brazil on seven points. Quite a a low points tally there, right? So between the 1974 and 1982 World Cups, the format's ever so slightly different. By retrospective ranking, um, later on, obviously, Brazil finished fifth in this World Cup. More teams, admittedly, in Brazil's 1982 run. And it obviously allows us to skew the points system really because the second round group phase wasn't a semi-final. So Brazil arguably performed better to get to the second phase. The Dutch's second phase just happened to be a semi-final. You could say these weaker teams would have been 24 teams in the uh, in the World Cup there for Brazil to face, which is true. Scotland Scotland were a decent team of the time. Let's not uh, say Scotland as an example. The New Zealand team arguably, arguably easily the weaker team out of the six opposition teams faced across both teams here and uh, with the netherlands playing uruguay sweden bulgaria brazil with the dark horse in russia scotland were they had some fantastic players they by this point they weren't expected to qualify from the group maybe um lesser than in the 70s where they had a better team arguably and um uruguay and sweden probably more difficult than scotland and New Zealand Soviet Union of course always dark horses around this time they had um, the teams of Dynamo Moscow and Dynamo Tbilisi at the time doing wonderful things in European football and so that leaves us on seven points for Brazil maybe we can add three points there at a push for reaching the second phase but uh, format doesn't strictly allow it but uh, we'll give them a soft 10 points with a hard seven there so uh, Netherlands now so they get a point for beating Uruguay 2-0 in a Kg affair, quite a brutal affair really there, uh, 0-0 draw against Sweden which um, notable for the Cruyff term, but they don't get any points for that because they didn't win and a 4-1 win against Bulgaria in the third match so you get two points there and courtesy of reaching the semi-finals by winning those three group games, an extra three points so you've got five points as we go into the Second phase, which is a 4-0 hammering of Argentina. 2-0 win over East Germany and a brutal, again, 2-0 win over Brazil, which gets us another 6 points. That's 11 for the Netherlands, just above the Brazilians' soft 10 and reaching the final, as they do, that's 4 points, so you get 14 points. There is no golden ball award, but we can assume, I think, quite rightly, that Johan Cruyff wins it. If not, he's definitely on the podium, so that's another 1-5. We'll, uh, we'll give it anyway, and um, so that will give us 16 overall, um, plus the four. So that's 20 and 22 points for two podium finishes for the Golden Boot. Johan Nyskin's joint second, Johnny Rep there on uh, joint third. So with that um, haphazard points system out of the way, <laughs> we've determined there that the Netherlands have got more points than Brazil, but huge asterisks, more asterisks than usual with this ridiculous points system because the formats are stupidly different and um by retrospective ranking we do have brazil fifth so technically not semi-finalists are they um because no well, they didn't get to the semi-final whilst poland did and um yeah i'm i'm uneasy about this point system more so than in other weeks which even more so uneasy but after this short break um obviously we know that uh the point system doesn't particularly matter too much. It's just a, a nice opener, a nice icebreaker before we delve into how both nations got to where they are proclaimed the best losers in the uh, World Cup history. We'll be back detailing that after this short break. Welcome back. We'll take a look at Dutch football history, both club and internationally, of course. The foundations were really built in the interwar years for me, the likes of Jack Reynolds, Vic Buckingham, built in the foundations of Ajax up, and then a couple of generations on, Rhinus Mikkels and Stefan Kovacs were the, were the pioneers of total football. Although Kovacs won the two European Cups after Mikkels, um, Kovacs, it was really. It was really Mickels' team, wasn't it? He would move on to Barcelona. He would be the Dutch manager for the 1974 World Cup, only joining three months out, of course. Ajax would follow in Feyenoord's footsteps. Feyenoord, of course, being the first Dutch team to win the European Cup in 1970. Meanwhile, Ajax held that European Cup right the way through until the uh, until this World Cup in 1974, which is why you have, despite not, not uh, qualifying for a World Cup since 1938, Obviously, the Dutch team contains a lot of Ajax players, some Feyenoord as well. They are one of the favourites, despite not appearing at a World Cup for quite some time, akin to a tiny bit like Portugal in 1966. That was their first World Cup, similarly, but because of the Portuguese successes of Benfica, for example, in the European Cup competitions there, they're renowned as one of the favourites going into the 1966 World Cup, and this is fairly similar. There they they were faint hopes of Dutch football bubbling to the fore with Ajax thrashing Liverpool, scoring five goals past them in 1966. You've got also thrashings of Bayern Munich as well. I think the Dutch really didn't get a head start, a great head start really in terms of professionalisation. That didn't come in until the 50s and um, they almost didn't get to this tournament either, which would have been such a big shame really. Belgium had a perfectly good goal ruled out in the uh, final qualifier in 1974, would have made it 1-0, would have eliminated the Dutch, but instead it was nil-nil. The Netherlands squeezed through on the goal difference there. And we do get the Netherlands at the 1974 World Cup at West Germany. And compare this to Brazilian football. Hugely successful time for Brazil in the World Cups in the 1950s, the 1960s. Brazilian teams were dominant in the 60s. with joined the Libertadores, a couple of the of Libertadores there. Pele with Santos in 1962 and 1963 won back-to-back um, tournaments for them. And in terms of international football, it wasn't all just about Pele. They had Grincher and Vava, who were key instruments for Brazil, most notably, of course, in 1962, when they feasibly won the World Cup without Pele. Grincher starring there, winning the golden boot, the golden ball. And this, of course, continues into 1970, the third World Cup triumph. Pele is the only player as a result to uh, win three World Cups, which is never going to be even remotely going to be even close. By for anybody really going forward. By this point, by the 1970 final, the Netherlands had yet to win a game of World Cup football. Granted they'd only played in two two World Cups, um, two games in fact, because this was in the uh, round robin era of the World Cup in 1934 and 1938. They lost to the likes of Switzerland and Czechoslovakia. They had only entered two of the first five World Cups and then from 1958 onwards failed to qualify. Came very, very close to so not qualifying in 1974. But when they qualified, of course, they got it right. Um, they were missing a key name, Hushlov, um, the Ajax centre half, experienced and half, been through all their successes at the uh, in the European Cup. He was missing. And as a result, Mikkels enlists Ari Hahn, notably a midfielder by trade, he took his place in the defence and they they wouldn't miss Hulshoff, uh, well, at first anyway, and through the groups you get them dominating against a feisty Uruguayan side. Um, England would note that um, some eight years prior, of course, that their World Cup win. It was a 2-0 win though for the Netherlands. You get a superb Johnny Rep header for the opener after quite some robust Uruguayan tackles. Uh, A tackle late on on Rob Rensenbrink earns a, uh, a red card in the second half and red cards were quite somewhere to go by in the 70s so you can tell how um, how much they pushed the referee to do that but the the Dutch were dominant, they should have won by more really they walked the ball in for the second goal the epitome of Dutch's style and of course he had a bit of flair for him in there the second game 0-0, notable only really for Johan Cruyff's turn in the game a, a turn that really didn't result in a goal and was na- labelled um, art for art's sake and this was of course at the time where the dutch team were very artistic and filled with flair a Turn that really really revolutionized skills and it's like the first skill that you learn as a as a budding young footballer don't you um the third and final game they the uh, reach the second phase after winning the group because they topple bulgaria 4-1 in fact the only goal the only game in which they conceded before the uh, before the final as if um just side down for a couple of penalties a uh, more primitive free kick to get the third um and the only way netherlands were going to concede really rude crawl absolutely twatting one into his own net um apropos nothing it seemed maybe to give the netherlands a game i don't know so um a bit like italy the 2006 world cup really but a similar very different style rather Um, only conceding before the final at the hands of their own players so we get to the second group phase you've got Argentina you've uh, thankfully the Dutch for the Dutch you've got the winners of group 1 which was East Germany not West Germany thanks to a bit of a shock there in the final game you've also got the holders Brazil and that's quite a deathly um, group as it is if we're talking about Brazil in 1982 with their three team group this is a pretty strong one here the biggest test being Argentina the winners from four years later Cruyff would spring the offside trap then dance around the goalkeeper one of the more famous goals in this uh in this campaign he'd burst forward centrally on the page if you go and look at wikipedia he's listed as a as a number nine and it's not real easy not, I mean pointless even putting formations out for the dutch in this team but we'll talk about that later on uh rude Kroll, uh fullback, whacks one in from a corner high up as well they're all pushed high up all the uh the facets of geg press and of German football now as we see the high ultra high defensive line really um, we'll talk about that a lot more as we go on and uh, Johnny Rep scores another header before a fourth goal is scored by uh, Johann Cruyff would have been a great team move but the rebound sort of, sort of diminishes it slightly but nonetheless domination against Argentina 4-0 ridiculous um a 2-0 win over east germany follows johanneskin scores a rare ugly goal for the dutch pinball from a corner and then things get wrapped up by Rensenbrink. and then brazil in the uh, all or nothing clash essentially a semi-final it's brazil whoever wins goes through a draw would see uh, netherlands qualify for the final at the expense of the champions brazil unfortunate not to take the lead in the first half ultimately though they'd lost a bit of their lustre from four years on they'd lost a lot of their star players. There's only like Jairzinho Je- and Revellino who remained. Of course, Johan Cruyff is involved. Massively threading. Johan Neeskens through for a wonderful, clipped first goal and then he scores one himself. And uh, the Dutch progress to their first final at only their third ever World Cup. And then it's West Germany, the hosts in the final. They don't get a single touch of the ball until Johan Neskin scores a penalty. He may have been fouled outside the box, but Uli Hoeneß takes Cruyff out. Sixteen passes, Niskin scores the penalty, and the first person to touch the ball is from a West German persuasion is set Meyer out of the net, of course, and then then you get the Netherlands playing at an extremely slow, tepid tempo. As if they're looking to humiliate them, they pass the ball around for twenty minutes. There's uh, a good passage in the uh, book from the jaws of victory which is a good chapter on these on this team here. on both of these teams really. Um and the mindset in 1974, some well, a generation and a half after World War II, which is which makes the Dutch and the Germans so vociferous enemies of one another, more so on the Dutch side, you have to say. In terms of football, that carries out through the football, and the mindset for the Dutch was so set on humiliation, especially on West German turf in Berlin that they forget to score the second goal. They could have put them to the sword if they wanted to, but, well, let's not discount West Germany here. They've got Franz Beckenbauer in defence. They've got uh, Holzenbein out wide. They've got Set Meyer in goal. Paul Breitner, of course, who scores the first goal from a a penalty, which, again, may or may not be a penalty. I'm erring on the side that it was a penalty. And then, of course, with... uh, Another goal, good Muller, of course, he scores 10 in the 1970 tournament, he scored one here, the most important of which, of course, and then that's the first half. And then, sadly, like any other team, it happens to the best of us. Dutch, as the game rattles on and they don't score, and Johnny Rep has a few good chances in this match um, to level the type and even win the match. They then resort to hoofing the ball up like any team. And uh, yeah, as it says in the States in the, from the Jaws of Victory book, chasing a football lead the eternal leveler and i couldn't agree more even the team as beautiful as the dutch the the team that was uh, was uh, lauded by carlos alberto of brazilian 1970 fame he said that the dutch team of this year was one of the few teams that left an impression on him um other teams just did what everyone else did but the dutch was like a carousel and um, in terms of swapping positions in terms of like in it's just passing on a different scale, and they were just the fluidity of their movement, of the passing, the positional. It, there are facets in certain modern football that take from total football, and the magical Magyars of Hungary are the foundations of this sort of tactical tweak. They had the positional fluidity, we all know, or at least I seem to bang on about it a lot. The uh, That taken to another degree, another step along the road with um, Nando Hidaguti playing almost as a false nine at Wembley in 1953, destroys England not once but twice and then they get to the final, arguably should have won it, Um, also against West Germany, so West Germany the uh, eternal party poopers here, but this was taking it to the nth degree here. The positional fluidity was just off the scale, which is why Hahn plays, mid, is a usual midfielder plays centre-half because they know the ball playing in centre-halves, a, a facet of this team that weren't at the time. And obviously you have uh, Rude Kroll bombing on, you've got uh, Serbia bombing on as well. And is why on paper, it seems like a 4-3-3, but it's more of a 3-3-3-1 we see. People will just put up pictures of Marcelo Bielsa, for example. He, he sometimes trots out teams that line up on, say, apps like LiveScore, 3-3-3-1, and, and it gets um, gets criticism and laughter from some people who might not know, but this is essentially what the shape of the uh, Dutch team was here. And uh, it never a four three three 3 3 on paper. And Johan Neskens at centre-mid, centre sorry, no chance. Johnny Rep and Rensenbrink on the wings, no chance. Um, Cruyff usually drifted out and to be fair when Johan Cruyff is brought down in the box in this final in the 1974 final and when all the players are burst into the box the closest player to Cruyff is the goalkeeper the Dutch goalkeeper which is uh, quite frankly ridiculous isn't it really to consider that's how high up they were pressing these um, accounts from footballers of from opposition uh, Argentinian players who uh, state that as soon as they got the ball from in the defensive third they'd be latched on like by seven or eight Dutch players and I think these certain facets, obviously Johan Cruyff would go to Barcelona as a manager under Pep Guardiola would be a player under him and obviously he takes that forward you've got um, I think there's some facets of gegenpressing that we see today um, in terms of pressing, the German school of and sort of high defensive lines is also in there and they're all taken little scraps from this team which is why I think the most influential footballer or figure of football of all time really is Johan Cruyff. You've still got the main schools of football that we still play today. There's really two or rather three styles of football. You've got the high fluid positional Almost tiki-taka but not style of play, which is um, Cruyff's total football at its best to an extent. You've got tiki-taka, which is Johan Cruyff's total football at its worst for my liking. Um, With uh, It needs the penetration, it needs the pressing, which is what Pep Guardiola at Barcelona has. It's what bad teams nowadays who play that starts going out of uh, fashion for good reason. Um, don't have the same intensity. And of course, intensity is what you see it in Germany. We see it with Bayern Munich, we see with Jürgen Klopp. We see it with an extent at um, teams like Leeds and players like, managers like Marcelo Bielsa. And all the good teams, all the big teams, play in that certain style. And um, we still see its effects today. And which is why I think the most influential footballer is, of course, Johan Cruyff, of course, who's picking up from the magical magiás of Hungary in certain aspects, positional fluidity, um, but this is this is it now. This is the main three schools of football we're seeing now mainly stem from this team, the Netherlands of um, the 70s of Ajax, from the 70s, of course. Not to say that they were all just playing pretty football. They could dazzle like they did against Argentina and more incessantly than necessary sometimes against like West Germany in the final, but they could also be tough riding the challenges incessantly against Uruguay and Brazil, which are tough physical games. it could They could be there for those as well. They didn't shirk any of that. And I think something that might have helped the Dutch is if they'd have gone behind in a tournament before the final, perhaps they needed to do so beforehand in order to win, so say against Brazil or Argentina. When they coasted through, as soon as they see the first sign of danger, then they unfortunately lapse back into uh, an ugly team. And obviously this is out of desperation. And if they'd have had a a desperate element to uh, a game beforehand they might have um, been trained better to uh, to do so in the final but regardless West Germany win and like in 1954 pop the party that was um, the better footballing team at the tournament of course my opinion <laughs> and uh, so we go to 1982 Brazil whilst not as influential with their tactics might have had better players in some aspects and given a better draw or format, for example, may, may have equaled the Dutch's final. We'll talk about that more in the verdict in the third part of today's show. So this should have been known to some football fans and some most of the players, really. Despite only have three, having three European-based players, they did go to, on a bit of a tour of Europe in 1981, beat the likes of West Germany, England, France... Two of those teams, of course not England, would get to the final four whilst Brazil were out um, before that stage, having not played the likes of Germany, England or France in um, being eliminated. Tele Santana had succeeded the pragmatic Coutinho who oversaw 1978, which saw Brazil unfortunately fall in one of the more controversial circumstances with Argentina beating Peru 6-0, but the less said about Argentina in 1974, uh, 1978, the better. Um, Falcao, um, not the one we see today, of course, for Real Vallecana and uh, more famously Atletico Madrid etc. Falcao he stepped in for the suspended Toninho in um, midfield and what a difference the Roma player did make he would remain in the squad despite Toninho's return against Scotland of course. There are absences, you don't have Careca there who was unproven at at an international level but he was seen as probably one of the more complete forwards of his time in a Brazilian shirt to be fair and you've got the Atletico Mineiro Journeyman in Reynaldo, who's got almost 300 goals in almost 500 games, who um, did struggle in 1978, which is probably why he um, wouldn't make it for this squad. Wasn't, uh, I don't think Telly Antanya was a big fan of his. So we get to the for, for the group stage. You've got Soviet Union to kick off. Probably the toughest task that they would have in the first group. Um, they would have to claw back the opener. So something that the Dutch wouldn't find out until the final Brazil were finding out right in the very first minute, very very first game rather, after clubback it was a very, it was an absolute shocker of a goalkeeping error. But then, as we know, two absolute blockbusters of goals, Socrates jinx beyond two players, thunders are shot into the top corner, explosions going off everywhere and then you get a little dummy from Socrates to let Edda tee himself up and then just volley into the bottom corner. Fanta two of the greatest goals in World Cup history I mean iconic rather than greatest I suppose it's just that was Brazil of this time just summed up flair beautiful goals and it just didn't stop here in the uh, second game Scotland. David Neri scores quite a good goal for Scotland, the <laughs> Dundee United player. Um, lovely curled shot into the top corner, but then, of course, we do have Zico fucking a free kick straight into the top corner. You've got Oscar scoring from a corner, but still he was a good play from Socrates in the build-up. You've got Edo with an absolutely delicious lob for the third goal, and uh, Falcao strikes one in off the post from uh, outside the box, and wow, four, you know, six goals they've scored in the first two games. Five of those are absolutely world-class. And then you go into New Zealand with the group pretty much wrapped up You through and uh, you got the weakest task Lask you've got even then you're scoring beautiful goals Zico scores an overhead kick and a lovely team goal as well persistent Falcao scores a third and Serginho breaks forward for the fourth and the through they've got unfortunately there probably the hardest group ever <laughs> ever i mean one team goes through you've got argentina italy and brazil argentina and italy faltered at the first group phase which is why they're in with brazil italy famously only qualified on goals scored ahead of cameroon which is ridiculous um they would meet them in the second game but first argentina zico unfortunate to um not score an absolute f- uh Edda, sorry uh not fortunate to uh not score a thunderous free kick but then zico fumbles it in um, the goalie fantastic save it must be said and uh, regardless Serginho gets scores ahead of to put the game beyond Argentina and then Junior the uh, marauding left back good facet of Brazil's play here um, makes it three and they win 3-1 before moving on to Italy where unfortunately Brazil's weaknesses down the right most notably were found out perhaps one of the greatest games in World Cup history this one and essentially a quarter final Brazil versus Italy Italy struggling but then came to the fore against Argentina Paolo Rossi on the way back obviously comes back from the Totoniero betting scandal late um addition to the team and my God did they need him here it's found on the back post for a first goal lapses onto a Brazilian error at uh, right back for the second and it's only for a marauding Socrates to burst forward with an equaliser another iconic goal from him and what a player he was really, it was only really the concentration of the goalie and the defence which stunts Brazil I think a little bit and um, Falcao, su- flashes in a superb equaliser as well only for Paolo Rossi to score from a corner a little uh, shout of offside but Italy go through, Brazil go out and uh, sadness from all involved really and in terms of Brazilian vintage I think 1982 is probably higher than 1962 or 1994. In terms of quality, I think I seem to have rose tinted. I think I'm the only one who thinks 2002 is amazing. Um, rose tinted spectacles, maybe for that one. For me, um, in terms of when I grew up, this would have been, I don't know, my dad's version of Brazil 2002 for me. For me, um, I, If I was to rank them, that would be probably right in the middle um, of their five, well, higher, higher than average of their middle mid five of their World Cup winning teams. I feel as though they did get unlucky with the format. Come up, of course, against the wrong man on the wrong night in Paolo Rossi. Maybe if Italy won their, won their group, they might have uh, sailed through, as it were. Um, obviously, one of the single uh, best individual World Cup performances ever and will be, well, rightly is immortalised. And then we've pa- Poland in the semi-finals, West Germany in the final, I think they'd have won it. West Germany, they'd already beaten them before this year and obviously that's a what-if for this YouTube account, I guess. Uh, but more on that, um, I'm sure as we uh, get closer and closer to the World Cup in 2022, the 40th anniversary. So the quality of the goals always bamboozles me with this team. It always feels like, as I say, explosions going off left, right, and center, but defensively you have to say they were lacking. Three of the goals they conceded, I mean, they were plainly errors. But I think in in and amongst, you've got Leandro and Junior, there, high velocity wing backs. And I think nowadays with peak fitness, and uh, the measures they would have to go to Brazil, this Brazil team would be just fine. Leandro and Junior would be they'd be like Liverpool over the time, full backs in um, all but name, wing backs and with the midfield is essentially what a four four two this was. It wasn't nowhere near a four four two at all. You got two defensive midfields, you got two attacking midfields. It's almost like a box and Socrates and Ade were just unbelievable, unbelievable players. Um maybe they were I don't think these um some lamenting that they didn't have an out and out forward i mean i'm not sold on that to be honest with you i mean how many goals did they score they've got f- they got 10 in the group phases they got f- five so it's got 15 goals in five games admittedly some against weaker opposition than others yeah i get that but then they're still playing argentina scoring three still playing italy who win the tournament let's not forget they score two goals against them I- i've socrates and Falcao, are stupendous midfielders Edair, of course absolutely superb as well they just needed a balance they didn't have anything really on the right and i think they were just asking a little bit too much of leandro who was admittedly still a fantastic player but um they were found out crucially on the right twice and then that ultimately proved to be their downfall unfortunately and maybe if they'd have had um, it was a very narrow 4-4-2 the wingbacks now as i say in peak fitness they'd be fine because those fullbacks would act as wingbacks and therefore they'd have the width and maybe what they were lacking was a Danny Halfest type, you know, marauding right back. Not that Leandro wasn't, but somewhere, somebody you could get up and down the pitch for 90 minutes, not just um, on occasion. But let's have a look at how both teams bounced back. So the Dutch, they came back, still fo- total football. They went out in the semi-finals of the Euro 76, got to the final of the 1978 World Cup. Ultimately, though, those two... Triumphs without their master, Johan Cruyff, um, kidnapped prior to the tournament, um, announced his retirement for his own safety afterwards, um, understandably. And uh, plus the World Cup was hosted in Argentina, volatile to say the least at that time, military coups, etc. And um, we already discussed their patchy 6-0 win over Peru. Um, To an extent, um, Argentina would uh, beat the Netherlands in the final probably for the best for everyone involved that they did really, um, quite a hairy situation by all accounts. And then the total football team slowly disbands, the they failure to get out of the group in year 1980, losing to uh, Czech, uh, to uh, West Germany. I mean, there was a poor format. It was one team in a four-team group going through to a final, so it was highly defensive football. If you listen to our Euro Rewind podcast in the summer year, you'll know all about that. And uh, the Netherlands wouldn't be at a tournament until 1988. In 82, they were fourth in the qualifiers with, admittedly, Belgium and France uh, would have gone through with a win in Paris, but lost 2-0. Then in 84, they were the victims to that ridiculous Spain 12 Muller one score, which uh, conveniently had Spain through on away goal, on goal scored, rather. And then cruel still, they were the fact that they were five minutes away from Mexico 86, but uh, Belgium's Georges Grun scores the away goal in Rotterdam in a 1985 playoff. Maybe um, an act of revenge for... For, uh, unfortunately missing out on the 1974 World Cup for Belgium and these things even themselves out some longer than others and the Netherlands then have to wait until 1988 to qualify for another tournament again in the West Germany and they win the Euros of course beating the likes of Ireland, England, Soviet Union, Germany in West Germany of course and Soviet Union again in the final Marco of Basten etc. You know all about that. So in Brazil the same team hang around largely. You've got Ed uh, Socrates, Zico, Falcao, and crucially, Careca is in the team for the 1986 World well, Cup. So, in essence, this Brazil team may have been stronger in some facets. They had a similar group phase to 1982, winning all three, and this time not not conceding. So, and just to prove that they would have done Poland in 1982's semi final, they pumped them 4 0 in the last 16, and uh, then they come up against a really good team in France. Of course, around this time, the European champions, Brazil take them to penalties obviously we know well we don't it's not a lottery but maybe it was back then Socrates and Julio Cesar miss the spot kicks Brazil then win the Copa America of 89 leads to the World Cup in 1990 again you get another 100% group stages before they're beaten by the uh, the finalists and the holders in the last 16 Argentina and this is only because Argentina messed up royally in the group stage and finished third in their group otherwise you may see Brazil get into the quarterfinals. And you've got Yugoslavia and you don't know really then what's going to happen then Italy would have been in the semi finals awaiting them of course so it's hard to distinguish whether or not they'd have done well of course then the 94 World Cup and then you've got a wholly different team then of course from 1990 to 94 etc so it's a hell of a verdict to be able to reach here so we'll deliver this verdict after this short break Welcome back, we have Naiskins. we have Rep, Cruyff, Arihan, Rude Kroll, Wim Janssen, Rob Brink. we have Zico, Falcao, Ede, Socrates, Leandro, we've got Serginio, Junior, two fantastic teams and perhaps 20 of the greatest World Cup footballers to never win the trophy so we let's break it down who did they lose to and what were the circumstances so brazil they lost to italy who won the tournament most importantly they lost to paulo rossi and his hat trick it was a proxy quarterfinals argentina were already out in this last 12 second group phase and from then on you get poland you got west germany west germany had already beaten and obviously about this stage we're getting to ifs and buts um if what ifs and what buts maybe <laughs> And then we got got well, Netherlands getting to the final, which makes it even more galling as a Dutch fan to play West Germany in West Germany. They took the lead. Uh, for me, the, they overcompensate. They go for humiliation rather than the win to see it out because they could have won that game by a few goals. A good way to think about it is just swap it round. Could, would it, the Netherlands have won the 1982 tournament with the same players, same conditions at play? And conversely, would Brazil have won the 1974 World Cup? Brazil of 1982, in 1974, they would have certainly got to its final to play Germany. There wouldn't have been that hangover of World War Two, of course, with Brazil. There wouldn't have been that historical animosity between the two sides. And Brazil, I think, have all that flair. West Germany of the time may have had the structure. Um, for me, Holzenbein would have been very influential on his wing to uh, capitalise on the right-hand side of um of Brazil, which was lacking in some senses, and there may have been obviously Gerd Muller up front for, for the West Germans against that Brazilian defense, which would have been slightly uh, worrisome if you're a Brazilian uh, in this hypothetical football match. <laughs> and uh, I think if Brazil get ahead, if they style profile like they usually do, um, we may have seen um, a route, we may have seen obviously German efficiency shining through with that one, but obviously, these are all just, um, you know, hypotheticals. In terms of the Netherlands, they were tactically out of this world, weren't they? I think in, if they play in 1982, they make a mockery of that group as they did in 74. And um, as they proved, Argentina and um, Brazil... In the second group phase, they beat them in 74. Obviously, the Brazil team's a different team in 82. Argentina, obviously, both improved, but I still think the Netherlands get over the line. I think what we're boiling down to here, who would win in a a battle between the two teams? And I just think the fluid positional play of the Netherlands was far beyond what Brazil were. Brazil, to me, were more vibes than tactics. Netherlands were a mix of both. Some say maybe when it came to... uh, the most crucial point it's slightly imbalanced but if they maybe played a, a an opponent without the history maybe if they play Argentina in the final or something like that who knows then the Netherlands would have won that final I've no no doubt about that and um, so to put the Netherlands into the semi-finals of the 1982 World Cup you think if Poland then you then you've got Germany so then you might have the same problem obviously a different team I don't it's not I don't think it's as strong a West Germany team as we did have in 74 these obviously wouldn't win the final but you've still got some strong names in there you've still got Karl-Heinz Rummenigge for example and I do think um, maybe that animosity would pile over into that to the same extent as it did in 1974 so it's hard to um, obviously both hypotheticals I think the Netherlands would beat Brazil in 1982 if you had a hypothetical game. Brazil were more joyful, arguably, although the Netherlands. Up until a point were just one of a kind, I mean, out of this world, they made a mockery of teams they played, whereas Brazil just, they played um, Joga Bonito, the beautiful game, really. And to be fair for Italy, for, for uh, Brazil, only a team featuring lacks likes of Rossi and uh, Conte. Delhi beat them, only a team featuring Beckenbauer, Meyer, Brighton, Hurness, Muller defeats the Netherlands. I think tactically, though, we have to... The, the decider is in this tactics. The Netherlands far and away the most tactically advanced team that we see. Them and the Magyars and Brazil in 1982 with peak current day fitness. I think all three could compete today. I think the Netherlands, though, would be more in the same ballpark as teams that we do sense today because of the Johan Cruyff influence. And because of that because of the the echo throughout the ages of how influential it was then to now the netherlands have to take this but only just only just i think if i was growing up in the 80s i would have absolutely adored this brazil team like i did the 2002 team but probably to a fuller extent maybe because i'm of the disposition that i am and the things that got away like england this time like brazil and Netherlands as well, nearly winning, but not being, not being able to get over the line, despite everybody knowing that you're good enough, potentially the best team at the tournament, less so with England in 2021, but that's by the by, these two teams I think would have captured my imagination wholly, I, I think it's only slightly just the Netherlands in it, but uh, we have decided. Next week, speaking of Muller, we're going to be talking on the Head to Head podcast about two absolute Bayern marksman of course you can see where this one's going episode 13 will be gerd muller versus robert Lewandowski. of course that'll be on patreon of course we have five days a week here on patreon three days a week on the Sports social podcast network but until next time next time you hear this voice of course wife videos on youtube see you there.